0: Uh, just before I bring uh, the main message, I just want to encourage you. Uh, you'll look in the uh, if you look in your bulletins, you'll see this. Uh, this is um, some information about something we do twice a year in the fall and spring. Uh, it's called Set Free Retreat. Um, this year, uh, Rob Snow, who is over here uh, doing the baby dedication, is going to be uh, our presenter for this and. Um, this is um, one of the ways that we are as a church um, wanting to disciple our people, uh, to help our people grow deeper in Christ. You know what happens is we walk this journey uh, of life and we're following Christ, but so often, you know, we're beset with uh, things that we can't seem to overcome. And it, it could be a painful memory. It could be some abuse you suffered when you were young. It might have been verbal or emotional abuse or physical abuse. Uh, maybe, maybe there's an addiction that you're struggling with. Uh, maybe something, uh, some secrets that you carry deep within your heart, and it pains you because you, you know that God has called you to be like Jesus, to be renewed uh, more and more into his likeness, and, and you struggle. Um, and, and so often we struggle alone. You know what Satan does? He wants to move us into isolation. He wants us to to isolate ourselves and to be very private with our faith. And a set-free retreat is a place where you can go and you can hear some great teaching, some truth from God's Word, but also have the opportunity to experience freedom. Um, And you know, so many of us, as you've watched celebrities, movie stars, uh, all these kind of people, you know, who were at the top of their game, politicians – people who look like they had it all together and then you find out that they had dark secrets Hmm? you know what i'm talking about the me too movement and whistleblower things that are going on in the world you know people have secrets and you know what we look like on the outside god knows our hearts he wants to set us free so this retreat uh, you're going to have an opportunity over the next number of sundays starting today out in the foyer malva sanguinetti Malva's back there. She's going to be at this table right over here on the way out. You could start signing up for this. Um, all the information is here. Please uh, be in prayer about that for yourself. And if there's anybody you know that maybe needs to experience that freedom in Christ, you could tell them about it. All right. Would you bow your heads in prayer with me? Father, I pray that you would help us to listen to not my words, but your words. Uh, that you want to speak through your servant today, I thank you. I thank you for the message that you've given me, and I pray, Lord, that you would give us ears to hear and hearts to receive what you have for us in Christ's name. Amen. There have been um, uh, many revivals and spiritual awakenings throughout Christian history, um, and what's interesting is that in many of these spiritual awakenings that occur in the world. Um, The time leading up to these outbreaks of renewal, um, that hardly anybody saw it coming. And it was like that with the Wesleyan revival in England a few centuries ago, during the 18th century. The nation was in the deep grip of spiritual darkness leading up to the Wesleyan revival. Christianity had become institutionalized, and the level of spiritual vitality was discouragingly Low. Also, illiteracy, poverty, and prostitution were widespread in the country and unchecked. And also, an accepted practice of the day was slavery. But through the obedience of this one man, John Wesley, the Lord transformed England. And the rest is history. Hundreds of thousands of lives were transformed. And not even John Wesley, he didn't even see it coming. But God did. God had a plan, but he needed a man. He's looking for women and men through whom he can accomplish his will. Now, when God shows up unexpectedly, And surprises us with revival, with renewal. He's not surprised if it doesn't happen. And he's not surprised if it does happen. Sometimes we are, but God is looking for people through whom he can work. The phenomenon that we read about with the Wesleyan revival in England, um, we we also see it happening in the Bible. If you read the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, we find in John chapter 4, Jesus meets a woman at a water well, and this woman has this conversation with Jesus, and she is amazed with his wisdom and his insight. He had what we call words of knowledge where he knew things about her that he could not have known unless the Father in heaven had revealed them to him. And when she got back to her village, she told everybody about him, and the townspeople followed her back towards the well to meet Jesus for themselves. And as a result, the Bible says that many Samaritans came to believe in Jesus. It's kind of like revival broke out in that town. Now the disciples, when they got back to the well, they didn't understand why Jesus, being a man, a Jewish rabbi, would talk to a woman, especially a Samaritan woman. So when they found him at the well, they urged him to eat something. And they said, Jesus, you haven't eaten in a while. You need to eat. And Jesus made a remarkable statement. He said, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. Jesus said, I don't need physical food. I need the food. What nourishes me, the food that nourishes me, is doing the will of my Father. And then he says, Don't you have a saying that it's still four months until harvest? He said, Yeah, we say that. Yeah, the harvest isn't ready yet. It's spring. He says, No, no. He said, I tell you, open your eyes and look at the fields, the fields, look at the world. It's ripe already for harvest. And there's a sense of urgency in Jesus' words. He's saying the harvest is now. The time for waiting is over. He says, open your eyes and look. And the problem is, they didn't have vision. They could not see what was before them the opportunities that the Father was providing before them. There are people within your sphere of influence. You know, sometimes Christians say, you know, I know there's non-Christians in the world. There's a few. But I don't know any of them. I don't have any non-Christian friends. And I'm like, what? Do you have a family? Is everybody in your family, all your aunts, your uncles, your cousins, your nieces, your nephews, your siblings, is everybody saved? We all know non-Christian people. Every single one of them. How about, do you have a job? Unless you work at a Christian place, you you probably work amongst non-Christian people. The question is, are our eyes open to see the people Around us, Jesus saw people. I, I want us to turn to the Gospel of Matthew, uh, and it's, it's chapter 9. If you've got a Bible, people don't bring Bibles to church anymore. Okay, so I see Dale Perry's taking out his phone. He's got his Bible app. Okay, you could take out your phones. We won't think you're texting. Okay. Um, so, Matthew chapter 9, and we're going to begin reading at verse 35. Matthew chapter 9, beginning at verse 35. And Jesus says these words. Well, actually, let's just go back a little ways here. Verse 35, Jesus went through all the towns and villages. He was teaching in their synagogues. He was preaching the good news of the kingdom. He was healing every disease and sickness. Jesus was busy in the synagogues, preaching the gospel all over the place, healing people, of disease and sickness, we know he was casting out demons, he was setting people free, he was making a difference. He was busy. He saw the crowds, it says, and he had compassion on them. Because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. And then he said to his disciples, The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. That's the same thing as he said to his disciples as recorded in John chapter 4. After he had talked to the Samaritan woman. And she brought back all the townspeople. And that village became followers of Christ. He was saying, open your eyes, look at the fields. He's saying here it's ripe. It is ripe. It's ready for harvest. And then he says, but the workers are few. So ask the Lord of the harvest to send out workers into his harvest field. And that leads me to the five questions that I've been talking about the last few weeks. These are five missional questions that can make a difference in your life. I remember sitting down talking to somebody a while back who was, I guess, wallowing some sort of self-pity and saying, you know, you just don't know my life, how bad it is for me. And I said to this person, I said, we all have trials and we all have a history, every one of us. We've all been hurt and we've all been wounded in life. And many of us suffer right now in the present. We suffer. We're harassed and we feel helpless. Some of you here today feel harassed and helpless. But we also know that there's such a thing as a wounded healer. And I am so proud of people, and I know people in this congregation that you feel wounded that you feel harassed and helpless sometimes, but you reach out beyond yourself and you reach out to those around you because you understand why God has placed you on this earth. Two of those five questions are, who am I and why am I here? I am a child of God. Most of us understand that and we embrace that. I am a child of God who bears... His image. But who am I bearing His image to? I am bearing His image to a world that is lost and without hope. And it is God's will that you as a child of God would let people see Jesus in you. That's why you're here. It isn't just like, I'm a child of God and God is blessing me. It doesn't end there. It's like, I am a child of God and I need to let people know that there is a Father who loves them too and they can also be a child of God. Um, and so that means I'm a missionary. That's my identity. Who am I? Who are you? You are a missionary. You are an ambassador for Christ. You are God's emissary to the world. You are here for a purpose. That's why you're here. And when I say when I ask the question, who am I, why am I here, I'm not just saying, like, asking myself, why am I here on earth? I am here on earth to be God's missionary. I really am. But I have to ask myself, when I go to the bank, why am I in this bank? I'm not just here to do a financial transaction. If I'm in Superstore or Costco, I'm not just here to get groceries or items for purchase. I am here as God's missionaries. Missionary. When I'm in a restaurant, I'm not just here in that restaurant to be served food. I am here as God's missionary. We have to ask ourselves continually, why am I here? And be aware that we always are on for Jesus. So God does not exist to help us achieve our dreams, to accomplish our goals. We are here to help God fulfill His dream. And to accomplish his purposes. So Jesus said, My will is to do the, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. Jesus understood that the time was short and that he had to be about his father's business. There was no time to waste. And so in this passage in Matthew chapter 9, he mixes his metaphors, he gives us two metaphors. One is a metaphor of a harvest, and the other is that of a shepherd and sheep. He talks about the harvest, and you'll see it come up there in verse 37. And he says the harvest is plentiful. It is ripe. It's ready now. And it's interesting, the solution to the problem of reaching the harvest that's out there in the world, the harvest of souls that is out there in the world, He he doesn't say here, now what I want you to do is go into your prayer meetings, go into your prayer closet, and begin praying for the lost. It's interesting. Did you notice that? What does he not say there? He doesn't say the harvest is plentiful. There are people out there in the world, people you work with, people in your neighborhoods that are ready to know Jesus. And what you need to do is just pray for them. Pray that the Holy Spirit will convict them of their sins and that they will come to Jesus. He doesn't say that. Now, we need to do that. We need to pray for lost people. But that's not what he says here. What, what is the problem here? He's saying there are people now who are ready. Today, now. Pray for workers. Pray for people who will be there to lead them to Jesus. Do we pray for the workers? Do we say, Lord, I want to be one of those workers? in my world. It takes a whole community of believers to bring one soul to Jesus Christ. Um, Sometimes we lament, you know, I don't know if I've ever led anybody to Christ. Now, I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand, but how many of you might say, I don't know if I have ever led anybody to faith in Jesus Christ. You know what? If you haven't, I'm not sure that's a reason for you to feel guilty you might have been the link in the chain just a link in the chain the question is though do we understand that we have a role to play some people sow some water and some reap and some of you really are those people who sit on the airplane and i keep you know i, I talk about this to people when they they want to know what i'm like and i say you know what when i get on the airplane i'm sitting in this seat in economy because I've never flown business class or first class, you know, not like some of you. Uh, but, I, you know, and I'm, 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 I'm squeezed in here, you know, and I just like, oh, Lord, I don't want to be in the middle, and I don't want to be sitting next to a talkative person. I just want to read my book. And and you know what? That's me. And if you feel like that, then I relate to you. You know, I, I, just, I just, but what the Lord is doing to me is he's saying, Brian, stop being so selfish. It isn't just about you and your book. It isn't about you. That person might need to hear the message of Jesus. Maybe all you need to do, Brian, is not open your mouth, but open your ears and just listen to their story. And maybe that might provide an opportunity. You never know. But I just, I struggle. But God has awakened something in me in recent days. So my question for you is are you available? So the one metaphor is that of the harvest; it's ripe, it's plentiful, it's ready. The next metaphor is that of a shepherd and sheep. Who do I see? When Jesus looked at the crowds, and it, it, it is interesting that right now there's a kind of a crowd, and I could look out and do I do I actually see you? I'm looking into some eyes right now, and I so. Do, but I, do I see you? Jesus saw people. He did not just see the crowd. He saw people. He saw deep into their hearts. And you know, there's two kinds of vision. Uh, Jesus had two kinds of vision. He had the vision of the distant future. He saw, he had a vision of the church and what it should be, that what it would be one day. But he also had a vision of what was directly in front of him. He saw the people that were right in front of him. As he's on the way to heal this very powerful guy, Jairus, as he was on his way to heal his daughter, a woman touches his garment because she had enough faith to believe if she got close enough to him that she would be healed of her affliction. And she was healed, and he sensed it. He sensed that something happened. He saw people, and he stopped. He talked to her. It's like, he sees me. He sees me. Jesus notices me. And he says, your faith has made you well. But he saw the people in the crowd. Do I? Who do I see? I'm God's missionary. That's my identity. Why am I here? I'm here to accomplish God's purpose. That's my purpose. Who do I see? Am I aware of what's going on around me and what God is doing around me? The next question is, what do I have that God can use? What do I have? Jesus is looking for people who are available and who are willing. Are you willing, am I willing, to make ourselves available to go in search of his lost sheep and say, Lord, send me, use me. Our mission as a church is making Christ like disciples with a heart for God and a passion for people. But it starts by being a witness, it starts out there. It really does. Last week in my message, I know that I rattled some cages especially near the end of my message because I asked the question, and this is the fifth question, what if everyone made disciples the way I do? Ask yourself right now. What if everyone made disciples the way I do? What would the result be? A few weeks ago, I began this series of messages by saying to us that we're on a journey, and we're on a journey of transformation. This journey of life that we're on is a journey in which we are to be transformed into His likeness. And it's a journey towards a destination, the kingdom of God. And people say, well, well, hang on a second. I thought it was just about getting to heaven when I die. And I go, well, that's part of it. But it isn't about getting to heaven just by yourself. On this journey... It's about the lessons you learn along the way. It's about the person you become. And it's about the people you influence. The journey is about bringing others with us. Making disciples of everyone around us. Well, I rattled some cages, I think, last week. I I made this statement, and I've reworked the statement, because I think the way I said it wasn't as good as it could be. I think I've improved it. You, You ready for this? I said that the significance of your journey, of your life, is the extent to which you influence people for Christ. And I'll stand on that. It's the degree to which you lead others on the path of God's transforming power. The degree to which you make a difference will tell you how significant your being on this earth is. The lives that were changed because you were ab- available not talented not gifted but available just available because you're willing to say lord here am i use me send me last sunday i left you with some of the ways that we can be more influential and i said life group leaders small group leaders what would happen if you were a small group leader leading a Bible study in a home, and you said to your group, I'm going to start this Bible study, but in nine months I'm leaving, and some of you are going to have to step up because I'm going to go and start another group. And if there aren't enough people in the church for me to start a group with, I'm going to start reaching out to my neighbors. In fact, maybe I'll do that anyway. Maybe I'll do both. And people think, oh, no, we're not going to know each other anymore. And I go, no, you can still get together. You can still meet with your group. But it's kind of interesting. We do get worried when our leader is going to exit. Don't we get worried about that? If I, you know, when a a pastor uh, retires or resigns, sometimes congregations get worried. And I go, you know what? This is God's church. It's not about, you know, it's it's not all dependent on one person. And so here's the thing. Jesus knew he was going to go away. He says to his disciples, I must go away but don't worry, I'm going to prepare a place for you and I'm going to come back and, you know, I'm going to bring you home with me. And they said, no, Jesus, you can't go. The whole thing will fall apart. If you, if you go away, it's not going to be right. And he says, no, 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 because when I go, the Holy Spirit's going to come and the Holy Spirit is going to give you everything you need. Interesting, isn't it? Do you know we should never put our faith so much into another person that we get worried when that person's going to make an exit because what it does is it reminds us that every single one of us have a call of God upon our lives. And I'm not saying that everybody should lead a small group Bible study, but more people can do it than you think. Some of you who sit here today and say, I could never do that. Sure you could. The question is, are you available? And would you be willing to say, God, I'm really not comfortable with this, but I'm willing to pray about it and Holy Spirit to let you speak to me and show me if that's what you want me to do. I talked about some of us finding three people. Maybe one of those three people would be a person who's not a believer and finding those three people and pouring your life into those three people. People that you can name and say, my three people that I'm pouring my life into, that I'm going to mentor, that I'm going to disciple, it's going to be John and Jill. No, no, maybe if if it was a guy, you disciple three guys. It's going to be John and Frank and George. I know who my disciples are. They may not know that I'm discipling them, but I know I'm discipling them. Would you do that? How about turning your home into a neighborhood hub where your home becomes a mission outpost and say, I think I want my home to be a place where Jesus' light shines in my neighborhood. God, how can I do that? How can I be more available? Now, all I can say in closing is... If this rattles your cage a bit, that was my intention, was to say, I, I just feel that um, you can't add discipleship to everything else you're doing. I've had people say, and, and, and I, I know that people don't always hear this, because they say, Brian... I am so busy. You don't know how busy I am. I can't add what you're saying to everything else I'm doing. And I'm going, you're absolutely right. You can't add this to everything else you're doing. You're going to have to give up some things that you're doing that are less important. Now, I can't tell you what that is. All I know is that who you are is you are God's missionary. And you are a child of God who bears his image to the world. And you're here to accomplish his purpose. Who do you see? What do you have in your hand that God can use? Don't add this to everything else you're doing. Say, God, I am willing to simplify my life and make room for your Holy Spirit to lead me, to guide me. And so, I wonder why it is that more people don't make disciples who make disciples, who make disciples, who train others to make disciples, who train others to the third and fourth generation. I wonder, why don't we do that? Why are we content to just get to heaven when we die? Why are we content to do Bible studies but never think about training other people to do Bible studies? It's because as pastors, we don't remind our people that that's what God wants us to do. God has called every one of us to make disciples. Why don't more of us do it? I think for some, it might be ignorance. People might be sitting here today saying, I didn't understand that that was what I was supposed to be doing. Okay. Or maybe you didn't understand your identity, that you thought you didn't understand that you being a child of God wasn't just to be a child of God all by yourself, but that you are God's missionary. Or maybe some people are just disobedient. I think a lot of people have an independent spirit. Somebody once said, being a pastor is like herding cats. Like this. Yes, I heard you, pastor. I just don't want to do it. That happens. People go, I heard you. I just don't want to do it. But, you know, don't do it because I'm asking you to do it. All I would say is, would you say to God, God, there are things that Brian's saying in these messages that really bug me, that bother me. Uh, I'm not sure I agree with it, but would you search his word? Would you open your life and say, Holy Spirit, I want to know if, the, if you're asking this of me, is this in your word? Have you called me to make disciples? To mentor others? Have you called me to turn my home into a neighborhood hub, uh, to be a light in my neighborhood? Have you called me to find two or three or more people that I could disciple intentionally? And just pray and say, God, I'm available if you're calling me. Let's bow our heads. The five questions are, who am I? I am a child of God who bears his image. I am God's missionary. An ambassador sent into the world. Why am I here? What's my purpose? I am here and everywhere I go, I carry the presence of God's Holy Spirit with me. If I'm shopping, if I'm eating in a restaurant, if I'm at the gym, if I'm out for a walk, if I'm taking my car to the mechanic, I am here to accomplish His purpose. Who do I see? Lord, open my eyes. And help me to see people. Not just in their functions, but to see them as people for whom you died, people you love. What do I have that you can use, Lord? I am available. Help me not to limit myself. I am available. And Lord, what if everyone made disciples the way I do? I pray, Lord, that you would help me to be open to do your will, for your will to be accomplished in and through my life. Help me, Lord, to be useful to you. Help me to not limit myself because of my weaknesses or even because of my sins and my struggles. Thank you, Father, that you have called me to make disciples. in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you all. We'll see you next Sunday and hopefully it's not snowing. Drive carefully on the way home. Bye-bye.